and welcome to the Coaches View podcast, a podcast hosted by professional football coaches for those who love to analyse the game in microscopic detail. I'm Harry Brooks and I'm joined, as I always will be, by co-host Richard Webster. Hi, Richard. Hi, mate. How you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, I think it's Tuesday. Um, I've kind of lost track of the days at the moment and all concepts of what a normal standard week looks like. But, you know, but then again, to be fair, I'm involved in the world of football and you know, we don't really conform to normal standard weekday routines, do we? So, yeah, not I'm okay. Really, not really. Yeah, I'm okay cracking on. How have you been? Yeah, very well. Thanks, mate. Busy, busy. Just uh, cracking on like yourself, working on a few things and uh, yeah, just, just working on a, a few different projects. So yeah, all good. Just can't wait, wait to uh, get back to some form of normality, but we're doing well. Yeah, cracking on. That's all we can do. On today's show, we are going to be discussing a topic that's extremely current and that's how Premier League football clubs can be innovative in the upcoming transfer market. Obviously, something that's going to be very prevalent due to the global pandemic that we're currently in. And I guess the best way to start this, Richard, would be you know, to, to talk about maybe broadly how Premier League football clubs can be innovative in this time and maybe how football clubs are going to be, for, are going to be forced to, to react to this, this crisis because it's obviously unprecedented times. And I think for those of for those on the outside um, that perhaps don't quite understand the seriousness of this, and thinking that football clubs can, or that certain people won't be affected, I think that the first thing to say is every single football club will be affected, and it's going to have a drastic, drastic measure on how football clubs can do business in the upcoming transfer window, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, the, the thing with it is, it's a unique situation for everybody, so there's no blueprint. Uh, per se so it's it's difficult uh, for clubs to gauge what they're going to do next but there has to be some kind of an effect and I think I think generally speaking um, there's been a lot of talk about the lack the loss of value of uh, some players through all levels of the game and the impact that that's going to have on transfer um, transfer markets people I've spoken to uh, who are involved in football and football transfers uh, from clubs from agents from players the people I've spoken to both in England and, and then in Europe, in Germany, in Holland, I think the general consensus is that it will be a, a slower market this next time around. And um, clubs might have to be a bit more innovative in the way that they go about business. And uh, we won't see the the huge shopping sprees we've sometimes seen in the past. Although I do think there will still be, I think there's still cope for one or two big signings, but I think the majority of clubs are going to have to um, cut their cloth accordingly and uh, be a bit smarter about how they do business. Yeah, of course. I mean, when I said that every single club will be affected, obviously every club will be affected, but there are still going to be the odd few that will still not act as normal, but can still maybe take a strang- take a, a real stranglehold onto the, onto the current market. You know, the likes of Manchester City perhaps won't be as affected as, as other clubs. But looking across the broad, I think that, you know, as you said, the vast majority of football clubs, not even in England, but across the world, are going to be massively affected and, they're going to have to be really innovative with finding new ways to maintain, you know, maintain their, their, their stance in, um, in, in the transfer market. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think uh, what we might see is is some clubs, mid-range clubs, for example, perhaps uh, digging their heels in and really trying to keep hold of those um, those top talents. Well, I was going to say, do you think that this crisis, I mean, obviously we don't know, it is unprecedented times, there's no blueprint for this, but do you think this crisis may, will maybe see the you know the, the cost of players rise the, the the value of them rise because as they try to keep hold of their star players and they try to obviously reclaim as much money as possible or do you think actually the 
every player in the current market will have a, have a dip in value or do you think it will see certain players rise in value? No, I think there's going to be a, a general dip. They might they might see some spike in, in, in players here and there, but I think across yeah. the board there's going to be a general dip in the value of players and in the money that the clubs are willing to spend because their finances are going to be hit. So we've seen already clubs and leagues um, basically uh, stopping their seasons in, uh, in Holland, the Netherlands. They've just yeah. declared recently that their season is, has come to an end and I think the same is happening in France. So... Um, I think across the board, uh, certainly in the domestic markets and then across uh, Europe, if we're just thinking about Europe, there's going to be an overall um, an impact on the value of players, I would suggest. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously going to have a massive effect. We've already said that. And um, I think everybody everybody would agree that it is going to have a massive effect and, and force clubs to be innovative. But, you know, it, and it will change football. Um, it will affect how transfers happen. Um and again, like like we said, clubs are going to have to be really innovative. So I think that it could lead to more more deals, perhaps swap swap deals, swap transfers. It could lead to a lot of loans with options to buy. Um, clubs are going to have to be really, really sensible with how they spend their money now, aren't they? And they're just not going to have the finances. Yeah, for to... sure. But I also think it's an exciting time because as ever, you're going to see um, if this is, let's say it's leveled the playing field to a certain extent for the big, the big clubs in the big leagues uh, across Europe. Uh, there, there is an opportunity for clubs to steal a march on the others. Um, if your scouting um, network and if your transfer shortlist is is done early, we've seen in the past how clubs, if they prepare properly and uh, get their list together early, identify their targets and then go after them. Uh, I, I think this does present an opportunity because everyone's been so wrong-footed by what's happened. Everyone's kind of in the same boat in terms of the, there's a lot of guesswork going on. Uh, so I think for some clubs, the ones who act quick and act smart, there might be an opportunity to, to to steal a march on some of the others to gain an advantage. I mean, you could see already, uh, I read today that some clubs are reopening their, um, their facilities for one-to-one training. So I think Tottenham, West Ham are on that list. I think yeah, Arsenal I are as well. Today, yeah. yeah, and in Germany, you know, uh, Bayern Munich have been training for a little bit longer than that. And their season, mm. you know, is... Is penciled to start back in, I think, on uh, May the 9th. Yeah, that's think, right. Off yep. the top of my head. Uh, so, is there an advantage to be gained there? I, I find, look, there will be an impact, but just like, you know, this uh, incredible um, series of events has happened, there will be football again. Um, and clubs will have to make moves. Clubs will uh, have to dip into the transfer market because it's important that they stay competitive. It's just how they do that. Well, it's interesting you said that about the German league getting back underway and it could actually see not even just in terms of like clubs themselves, but leagues as a whole. This can have a huge effect and it could see clubs like, you know, the Bundesliga, for example, take a real march on other leagues because obviously the situation they're in, they're, they're, they look like they're going to be starting May the 9th. So obviously, you know, I think most people in the world are desperate for a bit of live football again and all of a sudden, the viewers that the Bundesliga run again, and maybe the the finances of that is going to have on, um, you know, the the effect that how on their finances. Whereas if you look at maybe the French league and the Dutch league, now the football's completely stopped until I think is it Macron said that it was going to be September. No sport allowed in the country. You know that could have a devastating effect on the finances of those French clubs. So it could especially really see... if you consider that the, the Dutch league and the French league are essentially. Uh... To all intents and purposes, these are selling leagues. Yes, these are leagues that sell their top talents. I know PSG have got a great team, and everyone would like to have their hands on Mbappe, and, and they're a little bit of an outlier. But they don't tell you about the league as a whole. So, in general, uh, the French league is a 
you know, it's it's a stopping stopping off place. So it's a breeding ground for exceptional talent who then go on to ply their trade at uh, the top leagues, which at the moment or the last years has been considered to be obviously the Premier League in England, uh, the Bundesliga, uh, La Liga, and to a lesser extent, although they're coming back, is uh, Serie A. So if you're a selling league such as uh, the Eredivisie and uh, Ligue 1, is that going to have a major impact? Because you know maybe the maybe you're more likely to get your top talents pinched or maybe you'll have to dig your dig your feet in and, and try and keep hold of those talents that have been uh, earmarked by English clubs or German clubs. Yeah, I mean, just going off slightly a bit of a tangent here, but me and you have had discussions before, haven't we, about yeah. Bayern Munich and the Bundesliga and how actually, you know, the Bundesliga and even Bayern Munich need other teams to win the Bundesliga for a couple of years to, yeah, for sure. to make it more interesting globally. But it looks like that this, this pandemic has kind of done that for them. The, the interest in the Bundesliga when it starts again is going to be worldwide and it's going to be massive so you know i think it just forgetting about clubs as individuals it's going to have a huge effect on on leagues and countries and i think this could really really i mean obviously it's important to caveat this with you know people's health and well-being is the most important but you know it is if you're just looking very harshly in the football terms if the other leagues do start in the french league for example has just been ended and won't resume until september or until the new season then it could have a devastating effect as you said and it could really be a picking ground for a lot of players because for a lot of clubs, sorry, because there's a lot of players in the French league that, you know, will certainly be the envy of of clubs across Europe and um of all levels. So, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. I think that's that's for certain. Um so we've discussed broadly, you know, how clubs can be innovative in the Premier League specifically. You know, you could look at more, as we said, loans to buy. We could look at swap deals, we could look at maybe are you targeting certain leagues like the French League we've just said. But we've picked out six clubs, haven't we? And how these clubs in particular might handle the restrictions that we've put in place and the financial restrictions that are going to be put in place with the coronavirus. And we've picked, you know, two clubs that are towards the top of the league. We've picked two sort of in the mid-range and um, two towards the bottom. And obviously we've got three each. And probably the best place to start would be, you know, looking towards the top. And the club that you've chosen is Liverpool, isn't it? So... Would you like to talk a bit about how Liverpool, how you think they could act and how they could perhaps be innovative in the upcoming transfer window to maintain their dominance? Yeah, for sure. I think it's important to premise this as well and say, obviously, there's, there's a lot of guesswork going into this. But yes. I think broadly speaking, the general consensus is that there is going to be an impact on the transfer market. It is going to be more difficult uh, to see clubs going out and signing four or five players. So myself and Harry have put some constraints on our on our choices. We've basically said... Uh, which clubs can be innovative and almost do uh, do more with less. Yes. So so it's not a case of going out there and playing fantasy football and saying, well, I'd like <laughs> a backup for Trent Alexander-Arnold and I'd like another 30-goal-a-season striker and I'd also like to put Messi uh, in my team. It's not about that. It's about uh, tweaking those teams, taking into account where they are in the league, where they are in their trajectory, for example, um, and their current team and potential players who are going to leave. So if we start with Liverpool, um, or if I start with Liverpool, obviously this is it's a tricky one. I think sometimes it's harder for the teams at the top of the league uh, to innovate and refresh what they've got, yeah. uh, having been having been so successful and found a formula. So obviously Klopp has found a, a really uh, fantastic formula for success. And a lot of that uh, sort of hinges on not, uh, not shaking things up. Um, he's not he's not added and added and added to the squad. He's added really smartly 
obviously there's a little bit of luck involved as well. You know, a lot of his signings have come off and, and, and paid off massively. If we think about the goalkeeper and we think about Van Dijk, they've transformed the team. It was a very good team anyway, but they've transformed that team. Um, so he's, you could argue he's been fortunate in that regard, although you could equally argue that uh, it's, it's smart, uh, smart scouting and smart transfer policy. So I think with Liverpool, um, I, I'm looking uh, at two areas really where I, I suggest they might need to um, uh, refresh. Obviously, they're not in, in need of a, an overhaul given how far far ahead they were at the top of the league. So I think the most striking area would be some creativity uh, in midfield yes, or creativity in the middle of the park. So they've been really effective. But Alex Ferguson was a master at, at uh refreshing his team keeping them relevant uh adding adding one or two players uh and i think it's important to keep players on their toes because obviously uh going into next season let's say this season is scrapped or let's say this season continues it'd be very difficult liverpool are in a difficult position of how to how to stay on top how to stay hungry how to make sure they maintain that competitive edge over man city and some other big teams who are surely going to come back strong so I've gone for an interesting one in midfield, uh, and that is Martin uh, Martin Odegaard. Yeah, so I think uh, I think he fits the bill perfectly for what Liverpool are after. Uh, he's still young, I think twenty two. Um, obviously, he's been on the scene for a little while. He was a potential to have ended up as a "Where are they now?" type of player, having uh, burst onto the scene as a wonder kid a few years back. You know, signed for Real Madrid under a lot of uh, publicity. Uh, then kind of stalled a little bit. Um, but in the last two seasons, especially last season, or this season rather, uh, he's really started to flourish and find his feet uh, in La Liga. And I think um, in, in a way to add, I'm not necessarily saying he starts, but I think for Liverpool, they need to add players that improve the first team squad. Yeah. So one area for me, looking on the outside, where they perhaps could add something, uh, another angle, another dynamic, another dimension, would be a creative uh, player in midfield who's able to run with the ball, able to dribble, uh, able to go past the player. They've got Shakiri, but as well as he's done, it's not uh, he's not on the right side of uh, of his career trajectory. Let's say he's, he's you know he's he's had a great career, but he's he's perhaps coming to the end now. Alana has been a great stalwart for the club, but surely he's going to move on in the summer. So I think Odegaard refreshes things. I think last season or this season, he got seven goals and eight assists for Real Sociedad. Uh, helped them get to the cup semi-final. So I think adding that to an already successful midfield uh, is only going to enhance things and, and help Liverpool to add another dimension of creativity. What do you think about that, Harry? Yeah, I mean, Odegaard is, is a phenomenal talent. The, the, the issue I would have with that is that he is so good, perhaps, that would Real Madrid be willing to let him go? Because he is he's performed so admirably in the Liga this year. Um, his chance creation. And maybe looking at Liverpool's perspective, you know, not many teams nowadays play with a a standard 10 or a typical 10. And an Odegaard is certainly a typical 10 um, in terms of how you would, most people maybe view the, the, the area, the number 10 role. Um, I disagree a little bit. I think he's a fantastic ball carrier. Uh, so do you think he could perhaps the ball play in the midfield three? Oh, 100%. I think okay. uh, if you've got... Uh, look, Milner's probably going to last one more season. Uh, I don't see him stepping aside just yet. Henderson's a fantastic player. Wijnaldum as well. Uh, but they've got a lot of similar players in there. And if you add a little bit of ingenuity uh, to oh, what of they've course. already got... I, I, I don't 100%, think he's a... Yeah, 
I'm not thinking he's a classic with... 10 in, in the sense of uh, going to put his foot on the ball and slow things down. I think he, he plays with pace. He's dynamic. He's uh, a threat. He's a goal threat. And I actually think with Real Madrid, they seem to always be in a perpetual state of uh, uh, looking for Galacticos. So, uh, and they've just bought Hazard. So we're, and Vinicius Jr. and uh, amongst others, where does Odegaard fit in? I'm sure they'd like to keep him, but I, I just don't see them... Uh, I don't see him having a starting role at, at uh, Real Madrid, whereas Klopp has got a proven track record of play, taking players who are have the potential to explode and giving them that last uh, that last kick. If you look at Mane, if you look at Salah, uh, what they were doing previous to signing for Liverpool and what they've become after signing for Liverpool, I think Odegaard fits that category perfectly. He's not exploded yet, but he has the potential. He has youth on his side and... If you don't get him now, then perhaps he will be snapped up by uh, a big club because the big ones will all be looking. Yeah, I mean, Odegaard is a, is a phenomenal talent and, you know, he would certainly add a different dimension to the Liverpool team, a dimension that I do believe they're lacking. I just, I do just wonder that, you know, players aren't positions, but that's a whole other subject for another podcast because it's quite broad. But um, if you look at the general areas where Odegaard's picks the ball up and does most of his good work. He is in the kind of 10 position. And I just also wonder how much that would affect Firmino because Firmino is so good at dropping into those little pockets of space and then linking up with the runners beyond him. So I just wonder if that would disturb Firmino's role and if if having another guard would mean you do have to change to more of a a conventional 4-2-3-1 and perhaps if it would affect Firmino and if that changes maybe a bit too much of the dynamics of Liverpool because, you know, they are I where they are. I think any player... Any player that you bring in to improve the first team squad is going to have an effect. So I think you can't bring in people are talking, and I'll come on to this in a moment. There's there's a lot of talk about Timo Werner yeah. uh, joining Liverpool. He's been linked heavily with them. The difficulty with a player like Timo Werner is he has to play. Is he going to come and sit and watch Mane, Firmino, and Salah? Which one no. are you going to drop? So no, if we're gonna not. if we're going on the premise, whereas Odegaard, I'm a 22. Uh, how long does Klopp keep that same three going? Let's let's say, for argument's sake, that he keeps them for next season. I think Odegaard's more likely a player at 22 years old hasn't uh, you know, hasn't played the minutes at Real Madrid, so he hasn't played in a dominant team. Played at Real Sociedad, mid to lower lower end of the table. Uh, the expectation's slightly lower, so it's perfect for his stage of his career. Yeah, where the expectation goes up. He's going to learn off the, the better players around him. Firmino, who's older and has done it. He's not going to step on Firmino's toes. Um, and he's, you know, he could be blooded into that team. I think it's actually more disruptive. Uh, it, you, you've got two other things you could do. You could buy an established player like Timo Werner. That yeah. really disrupts what you've got going on. Um, or you could buy a young player, but then that's more of a gamble. And then does that actually, you could buy a younger player who's happy to sit for 25 games but then the whole point is to improve your uh, your match day 16. Yeah. No, and he would certainly be a really interesting signing. Whether it be possible or not is, is another thing, but it'd definitely be a, an interesting <laughs> signing. Um, have you got anyone else that you would look at for Liverpool? Yeah, this, the second one I've gone for is I've, I've hinted at it already. So uh, there's two really. I think they do need to refresh uh, the forward line. It's obviously a phenomenal forward line, but I think it's important when you're at the top to keep refreshing things. I think with two scenarios if they lose a player let's say Mane who's been rumoured to have a fallout with Klopp how true that is I don't know it's, it could just be nonsense but let's say 
uh, they lose a Mane or they lose a Salah. In those circumstances, I think Timo Werner's perfect. Um, if they if they're to lose one of those front three, uh, if they don't and they just want to add a different dimension, I actually think Jimenez from Wolves would be a terrific signing. Okay. Um, yeah, a slightly different different approach. Obviously, changes the dynamic. Um, again, it's one with the caveat of would Jimenez be happy to play uh, the majority of the games as a second fiddle? Um, but if I'm just looking from Liverpool's point of view, uh, I, I do think you can't just keep going with the same front three, the same the no. same system. Um, it's been very successful, no doubt, but at some stage or another, you need to refresh. And with the crossing ability and the threat that they have from fullback with Trent on one side, Robertson on the other... Uh, I think if you changed it up, if you had a target man type player, if you had a player who was exceptional in the air, they could change their approach. They could tweak their style when the situation arises. It was so certainly, that's my, yeah. it was certainly that's be my really additions. interesting. Yeah, no, it would yeah. be really interesting. I mean, I don't think Wolves fans will thank me, and I don't <laughs> think Wolves would be Wolves would be too happy to sit down and talk about it. I don't think that's I don't think it's likely to happen. But if I'm Liverpool and I'm looking at two signings that could do what I need to do, then I think Odegaard's a really exciting one, and I think Jimenez would fit the bill as well. Definitely. I mean, I went on Bleacher Report a, a, a short while ago, and I would say I was just giving them a shout-out, but they don't really need a shout-out, do they? They're pretty big and doing all right as they are, but um, I literally, <laughs> I, I discussed, you know, the Liverpool and and perhaps how they need to adjust their front three, um, because, you know, if they, if they go into next season with the same front three, as good as they are, it will be the fourth season in a row where that is the front three. And yeah. as you've already alluded to with Ferguson, to stay at the top, you do need to constantly refresh. And actually, it's not always the worst thing in the world to sell your best players. Ferguson sure. used to sell United's best players, but yeah. he would adapt the team and he would change the dynamics of the team. For example, the best example would be when he sold Cristiano Ronaldo and he replaced him technically with Antonio Valencia. Now, you could look at that as black and white and say, well, you've just replaced Ronaldo's goals and output and dominance with someone who doesn't score goals. But Ferguson knew that if Valencia provided what Valencia does, the goals would come elsewhere. And I actually suggested that, you know, perhaps Liverpool would maybe sell Mohamed Salah because clubs will still spend money on a superstar. There will be a few clubs that can afford to spend money. Salah would, you know, certainly collect, I would say, the most out of the front three. And I think he's probably the most replaceable out of the front three. But I suggested that you know you could perhaps replace Salah with Jaden Sancho and Kai Havertz because then you don't really have to change the dynamics too much but you still have you know you do still change you add more areas and avenues to score goals and to create chances you add the the creativity and the goal threat from midfield but can still remain solid because Kai Havertz is a very um physically um you know he's a very physical player he can cope with the intensity of the league he can certainly play in a midfield trio and as a 10 and provide the creativity and goals from midfield. And then Sancho, I think, is more creative than Salah. And between the pair of them, you'd probably with, make up for Salah's goals. So that's I what agree I with Havertz. I think Havertz is a perfect fit, but I, I don't think it's I don't think it's plausible to see him leaving. That's why I've picked Odegaard and, Fair enough. and Jimenez. I think they're players you could potentially get. Um, I, I don't think, for me, Sancho is a terrific player. I don't think he fits Liverpool at all. I think okay. uh, his style is playing off that right-hand side is... Is stop start. Um, yeah. He likes he likes to stand a player up. He's fantastic at it. Uh, he stands a player up in the same way that Neymar stands a player up. Uh, whereas Salah is has he can do that one, but he's much more direct and he's much more head down. 
you can play Salah in over the top. I don't think you can play Sancho in over the top. Um, no, you would lose a I lot think... of threat in behind, wouldn't you? And you would have to look at it yeah. from anywhere. So, you know, the responsibility would largely fall back on Mane's shoulders, which I think he's more than capable of. Firmino would perhaps have to look to get in behind a bit more, which isn't really his style. You need more midfield runners in behind. So maybe you could have Kai Havertz and Juni Wijnaldum who can give more license to make runs in behind. So you would have to change how you play. But as you've said already, you know, whatever whatever system you do go towards, you are going to have to adapt and, and freshen up, whether it is doing your suggestions of Odegaard and Jimenez and changing the style that way or, or mine. But I think it is important to maintain dominance, to constantly freshen up at the right time. And that's, that's how you maintain your, your, your level at the top, isn't it? Agreed. Yeah, 100%. So the major club that I've looked at, or the club towards the top end of the table, is Tottenham Hotspur. Obviously a club that me and you uh, have grown up to... Probably loathe just as much as love, but um, <laughs> are, they, are they at the top of the table? Are they near the top of the table? <laughs> they're still there. They're still there. Don't listen to oh, the media. Yeah, okay. They're still there. But I think it's going to be fascinating to see how Tottenham, how Tottenham Hotspur behave in this situation because they've got a chairman that's certainly world renowned for being pretty tight with his his purse, and um, the current pandemic is certainly well. He's not exactly going to change after this pandemic, is he? He's going to make it even more difficult to sign those plays that perhaps, you know, fans would love to see at your club. You know, there's no way that a Tottenham Hotspur, we could be having a discussion about signing an Odegaard, a Sancho, a Jimenez or Havertz. There's no way that could happen. But Spurs have always had really good success with buying the best of British. And it isn't always British players that are in the Premier League. It could be the Championship. So if I just look at, you know, in recent, well, I say recent years, maybe this century, you know, Spurs have signed the likes of Gareth Bale, Aaron Lennon. Um, Jermaine Jane has had a very good time. At Spurs, Robbie Keane. They've had a lot of success with picking up British players for a reasonable amount and either selling them on for a lot more, especially in Gareth Bale's case, or you know having a long, a long career at Tottenham, a successful career. And I think that where we're talking about clubs having to be innovative, I don't think that look. I think that looking at the lower leagues wouldn't necessarily be the worst idea. Maybe you could look at it and say, well, Tottenham have to shop in a different kind of market. But I don't see why, because the strength of the English leagues. Is, is so far superior to, say, the second division in and the third divisions in Spain, France, Germany. There are certainly a ton of talent for reasonable prices in those lower leagues. So if I'm looking at names specifically, one of them I know, you know is very close to your heart is Kane Vincent Young, who, I've, who you've been coaching since, you've been coaching Kane since he was 13 years old. Um, and I've been very lucky enough to be involved in his career recently. But, you know, he, he, is a, he is a player that we both fully believe. And this isn't through bi- being biased. It is through, you know, genuine belief that he will end up back in the Premier League. And if you look at Spurs, they do, they do need a right back. And he fits the profile perfectly. He's, he's technically outstanding. Definitely Premier League level. He can carry the ball on the outside and the inside. He can hit the byline and produce, you know, telling balls and, you know, be effective in the final third in a variety of ways from a variety of areas. You know, you get a lot of fullbacks that could perhaps only produce one type of cross. They can either hit the byline or produce from deep, but can't do the other. Or they can come inside, but struggle to go on the overlap. Kane can do it all. And he's very athletic. So he would certainly be, and he would be available for a very, very reasonable price. You know, Ipswich being in League One. Um, so he's someone I would look at. I would maybe look at Calvin Phillips at Leeds United. Um, you know, he's he's had a fantastic season under Marcello Bielsa's uh, system. He... He certainly he plays in an area where Spurs desperately needs, you know, an addition, um, you know, defensive midfield. He's a very intense and aggressive presser of the ball. He's a good passer. 
he was homegrown again, like we said, obviously, you know, talking about the British players, which I think it's important to mention that, you know, it is important. You have to fill out a homegrown quota and he will certainly add to that. And, you know, those are just two examples from players I think that you could look at and shop at in the British leagues and, and still, you know, and actually really improve your squad and your first 11, you know, even other names, you know, Eberieze at QPR that's been highly, highly um, regularly linked with a fantastic footballer. Max Aarons, Ben Godfrey at Norwich, Ollie Watkins at Brentford, Ben White, who's on loan at Leeds from Brighton. You know, these are all fantastic footballers that, you know, are British, homegrown and wouldn't necessarily cost the earth. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I agree with Kane. I think Kane's a terrific talent and I think he will find himself uh, playing in the Premier League sooner rather than later. Dynamic uh, fullback, which is kind of has to be done at the moment. That's that's how that formation has developed. Um so he fits he fits the bill there. I think with the others, uh, certainly, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting idea to go to the lower leagues. I just think in the position that Spurs are in, where they've they've had a lot of success without winning the trophies, consistently finishing in the top four, they've now got a manager like Mourinho, who obviously Pochettino's um, uh, career at Spurs kind of came to a bitter end. Um, I just don't see Mourinho shopping in the lower leagues uh, for for the player who's going to make the difference. Um, but clubs do I have to be innovative. And if you actually look at yeah, the Spurs squad, I, as, I if you look put, at the Spurs squad as a whole, I would say that actually, generally, the squad is actually very, very strong. But it looks it do, it it doesn't look as strong as what it is because it's just horribly imbalanced in key unbalanced, areas. Yep. You know, and if, if, let's say you sign a defensive midfielder. You can look at saying, well, Spurs, you know, they, they need a defensive midfielder, they need a new centre-back, they need a new right-back. But there's a lot of very, very good plays in a lot of key areas for Tottenham. And if you do add that defensive midfielder, you can't underestimate how much that would improve the defence. Because all of a sudden now you've got someone screening the back line. So there's less shots on goal because they're getting in the way of shots, obviously. They, there's more cover for the back line. So I think that the Spurs squad at the moment, it doesn't necessarily need massive investment it just needs very smart investment and I think you can look towards the lower leagues for that but then again as you said is Mourinho going to do that probably not I think um, I think Kane Vincent Young's a, a smart signing because his trajectory is up and up uh, I think uh, is it Hoiberg at Southampton that's yep. an interesting one who I, I I personally would like to see him at Tottenham that's a refresh exactly where we need one yeah uh, I, th- I think the most difficult position is that centre mid um, yeah I really do. There's there's a case to be made for uh, Jack Grealish, but he doesn't really solve the problem of um, the defensive midfields. Uh, he'll certainly he certainly provides a, a great link between um, the centre of the park and the forward line. I think we're pretty healthy in the in the forward line. Obviously, in a perfect world, you'd you'd refresh here and you'd refresh there and you'd upgrade there, but we're we're trying to do it under some constraints. So yeah, it's a tricky one. I think I'll go with Kane. I'll give you that. Um, Seeing Mourinho shop at the lower levels, um, it, uh, that's a stretch for me. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. But obviously, this is, you know, we're the bosses here, so we do, we, we yep. have to say what we would do. But, uh, you know, but, but Ben you know, White's a good shout. Ben White's a very good shout. Yeah. And, but as you said there, I think the key area for Tottenham and um, reinforcements is defensive midfield. So you could maybe look at, you know, signing a Kane Vincent Young to fix a right back area, which is, you know, a big area for Tottenham. I think that's clear for everyone to see. Um, you know, but he would be available for, for really not much money, you know, League One, Ipswich. But then you could spend the vast majority of your funds in defensive midfield and maybe you don't necessarily then have to look at, you know, bargain basement hunting because the vast majority of your yeah. funds are going towards there. So if you look at even options abroad or at home, you know, you've looked at Hoiberg, I think would be a 
fantastic option if you look at players abroad. Dennis Zakaria, a Borussia Mönchengladbach, is a fantastic yeah, defensive yeah. midfielder, um, athletic, but he very a lot of clubs. Yeah, but very positionally disciplined, very smart. He screens the back line well, composed on the ball. He would be excellent. Florentino Lloris is an outstanding young talent at Benfica. He he would fit the role perfectly. So, you know, or Conrad Leimer, I'm a huge fan of RB Leipzig, one of the best pressing midfielders in the world. He can play ahead of the ball as well. So he can also be adaptable to play as an eight and a six, which I think is important considering the, the profile of players who Spurs, sorry, the profile of players that Spurs have. You know, you can't just look for a player, I think, that can only play as a six because you then got the issue of, well, what do you then do with Deli Ali, for example? You know, do you play just a six and just a 10? So I think you know, having a player that can play a six and an eight is vital. I think the trouble you've got there is the only the only player I see from that list is uh, Zakaria in terms of uh, ticking as many boxes as possible. There's a lot of potential, uh, but Spurs are in a similar, not the same by any stretch, similar boat as Liverpool. As when you buy a player, you have to buy a player that ticks certain boxes as in, is he going to be able to play for Tottenham? Is he going to be able to uh, have, you know, come into a team or a club where the expectation has changed over the last 10 years that you, you've got to win, you know, seven games out of 10? Well, one uh, player that would win. help with that, and I know Mourinho is obviously would, would be a big fan of this signing, and I would be a huge fan of this signing, would be Willian from Chelsea. And it would suit the current market perfectly because he's a free agent this summer. And I think that Willian would certainly add what you would say. He would certainly be someone that Jose would look at. And William, he gets a lot of stick, but I think if you look at his performances and his style, he's he's a very rare player. Not many wide midfielders or wide 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 players can you know go on the inside and outside of their men, can receive the ball in between the lines and be effective, can play on the left and the right going both ways, can come up with huge moments in big games and also provide positional discipline and defensive output. I think he would be an outstanding signing, free agent, and he's someone that would certainly adhere to what you've just said. Yeah, he would he would tick most of the boxes. I, I think Zakaria because um, he's in a position you need defensive midfield. Um, he's he plays at the top level already. He's not, uh, let's say, you know, Willian's had a great career, but he's he's coming to the end now. How long do you get out of Willian? Um, although you know, Willian experience is is key. Experience is is very very uh, vital at any level. Um, so he's got that to be said for him. I just think Sakaria ticks more boxes in terms of, okay, this is a player who could play defensive midfield for Tottenham for the next four or five seasons. Um, realistically, I mean, could we, not get, could we not get both though, however? Because obviously Sakaria is a defensive midfielder and William being a wide forward, could you not, uh, with William being well, a free yeah, transfer? Yeah, of course. I mean, like that, if you could if you could hit three areas at once, if you had William, Kane at right back and uh, Zakaria in the middle, then, you know, you're, you're ticking... Um, you're ticking lots of the boxes. Um, I think if you could only go for two, I think you'd go with with the right back uh, Kane, and you'd go for Kane Vincent Young, and you'd go for Zakaria in midfield. But the other the other thing you have to consider is the whole Willian. You know, the, he, he would get a lot of stick uh, the first uh, the first few games for sure. Yeah, but I think it's important that we feel obviously you know it's all well and good the, the players getting stick. It's very important that <laughs> whether you like it or not, fans decisions can never ever be taken into account with football yeah. decisions I don't think unless unless it's something completely outrageous like Sol Campbell becoming the new Tottenham Hotspur manager yeah, I don't yeah. think that fans I, I don't think fans uh, yeah no I don't no, see no that time funny enough um, <laughs> we'll be right back after the break Welcome back to the Coaches View podcast, where we are discussing 
how football clubs in the Premier League are going to have to be innovative in the upcoming transfer window due to the global pandemic. And let's get straight back into it. Rich, who's your next club? Uh, Newcastle. Newcastle United, mate. Toonami. Yep. Obviously been in the news quite a bit recently with the potential takeover. Yep, yep. I think that's why it's uh, such an interesting story. Yeah. Uh, it looks like that, that takeover is pretty much uh, done and dusted by, by all accounts so far. I think there's still a, a fit, proper person test that has to be passed. And obviously there's a whole... There's a whole podcast around that about the um, sports washing of um, Middle Eastern uh, uh, um, buyers and, and whatnot, but that's for another time. Let's let's um, stick to the sport for now. Um, so I, I actually think that's a really interesting uh, subject. I know there's been a lot of talk about it. So Newcastle are set to become the richest team in the Premier League. By so, quite some distance, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's not close. Yeah, it's definitely not close. Um, so it's interesting because I think I've, I've seen a lot of reports and a lot of podcasts, a lot of YouTubes, a lot of videos, a lot of speculation out there about what they're going to do, and which is always the case when there's a big takeover. And Newcastle fans have been waiting for a takeover for quite some time. Uh, they've come close a few times, but it looks like it's getting done now. I don't foresee a huge immediate uh, overhaul at the club. That's not normally how it goes. No, and football's um, changed a lot, hasn't it, since Man City were taken over. And even them, it took them the nature, a long the while before they the, became the gargantuan force. The nature of the group that are buying um, Newcastle, it, it's not, you know, they're going to be in this, by the looks of it, they're going to be in this for the long haul. Newcastle United is a fairly established uh, Premier League club. They've got a fantastic um, fan base. It's ridiculous. Um, in terms of a sleeping giant, this, that's definitely one of them. You would argue perhaps they're not a global brand, but that can be changed over time. Same as Manchester City. That's still not a global brand, but obviously they've made big strides. Um, so I think it's going to be uh, slower uh, slower work, but you know Newcastle fans won't be disappointed. But I don't think you're going to see a root and branch approach where they're going to overhaul everything. It's just not going to happen. No. And certainly I've seen like Mbappe, Cavani. You know, <laughs> it, it, I mean, like... It's, it's all very well writing names down on a list, but PSG have to want to sell and that player has to want to come. Yeah. And uh, those signings are just not going to happen. So, no. uh, and, and to be fair, Newcastle get a lot of stick and Steve Bruce gets a lot of stick. But actually for the job that he's done, for where they are and what, they, what he's done it with, there's actually a lot right about Newcastle. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I was listening, there's an awful lot they do. I was listening to a show this week about Newcastle and saying, you know, uh, in terms of their attack, um, they're one of the worst in the league. And that's what they're focusing on. But it's like, you know, he's a very defensive coach, he's a very defensive manager. But you could spend that on its head and say, yes, OK, the lack of goals has cost them being further up the league. But the fact that they play with the style and a solid back line that he does means they're still in the league, it means they're not fighting um, so much of a relegation battle. Um, you know, it used to be years ago, uh, I remember when George Graham uh, was managing and, and lots of the great managers, Ferguson would say the same thing, is the first thing they would fix in a team, the first thing they would get right is the defence. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's often said, incorrectly in my opinion, uh, they say, oh, defence is easier to coach, defence is easier to work on. I don't think that's true. I think the, the discipline, the tactical discipline, the shape, um, the, the training that needs to go into it, I think that often gets overlooked. And, well, it's completely dependent uh, yes. on who you've got, isn't it? You know, it's if of you're course. if you're trying to coach the likes of you know PSG to be defensively disciplined in big European away games to Barcelona, etc. We've seen over the years that that's incredibly difficult to get those mentalities to do that to do the ugly work, for want of a better phrase. You know, so it's completely dependent on the situation, isn't it? 
and the profile of players Newcastle have, you know, exactly, and towards... what they're able to attract as well. They, you know, they're not able to go out there because of what he's inherited, because of where they are in the league. They're not able to go out there and just just buy a player who's going to excite the fans and 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 do and score goals magically. It's a work in progress. So yes, they might not be the most exciting to watch. Yes, he's defensively minded, but that's who he is as a coach. That's who he is as a manager. Yeah. And he's been successful doing that. It's just how you define success. Not every team will win trophies and win the league. That's not why we support football teams. It's not why I support teams. I support Tottenham. <laughs> so, so if it was, you know, I've been waiting a while. Anyway, so my argument is that I think there's a lot There's a lot right for a start. I think Bravka's a fantastic goalkeeper. Um, I wouldn't go about changing him. I think the back line is, is fairly solid. It's fairly good at what they do. I'd be keeping Lascelles and obviously Fabian Scheer is a good player. Uh, terrific player. Actually, Fernandez as well, I think, plays alongside Lascelles. Terrific. Um, a, lot of, a lot of Newcastle fans have been um, quite happy with Willems as well at uh, left back. Yeah, yeah. So I, I know he started, he, was, he had a very shaky start. I think in his first game, he cost them a, he cost them a goal. Just maybe he hadn't got up to the pace of the league. But since then, he's, he's really performed terrifically. So I think they're fine in those positions. I, I'm only going to pick... Um, really three positions where they can improve. One is at right back. And I think uh, Max Ahrens would be an exciting signing. I think it looks to all intents and purposes that Norwich would go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that was to happen, you've got Newcastle with money. Um, that's certainly a step up. It's a bigger club. Um, he's playing on a bigger stage. I think that's a terrific signing that adds something uh, defensively and excites fans. So I would have that yep. one to start with. I don't know what your thoughts are there, Harry. I'm a huge fan of Max Ahrens. Um, he's someone that I, I would, being a Spurs fan, I would love Spurs to certainly be looking at. Um, the only issue with Max Ahrens, if you are set up more defensively, he is quite slight in stature. He's not very physically imposing. He's more like a little whippet, um, which, you know, which is fantastic in a lot of areas, certainly going forward. And he is a good 1v1 defender. He's very aggressive. But, you know, if you are set up defensively to be very strong and powerful and dominant and well organized, he can be a bit of an issue there, but then again, you know, he is a good 1v1 defender, yeah, and they're pretty he's solid a fantastic as well. Talent. And you they're can't, solid and if he was a complete, yeah, if he was a complete fullback as well, then Newcastle wouldn't be able to sign him. So, you know, no, you've got to take the positive with the negative, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Which I think you've you're catching a player who's going to become a complete fullback in the next two or three seasons, so that's a perfect stepping stone for him. It's the next stage up in his career, yeah, I think it fits. Um, so. Further up the field, uh, up top, I think I think Joe Linton gets a lot of stick. Obviously, he hasn't produced the goals that the fans are hoping for, and he came with a huge price tag. So that always um, that's always felt a bit more when you've got a huge yeah. price tag on you. Yeah, it's, it's, but then it's very harsh. I mean, he's, I think he's twenty two or twenty three, something like that. Um, you know, when he spent time at, uh, in the Bundesliga. Well, I said I this was... about when Newcastle were getting criticised earlier. If you look at their front three at the moment with Joe Linton. Uh, Saint Maximin and um, Almiron. All three of those players are quite young, and they've all been brought in the last two years from very different leagues, and they've all had to gel together at the same time in a brand new league, a very intense league. And we've seen how it can take time for just one player to come in and join the puzzle, whereas those three have had to completely come up with a new puzzle, um, all being new to the league. So it's very, very difficult for all of them. And I think as well that uh, Joe Linton. Uh, a lot of people are saying. That- you know, from his previous clubs, he, he's not really the target man striker that no. he's being played as. So he's he's kind of being misused in a in a, in a way. 
But again, that's not the fault of the manager. That's what he has, where he has. Yeah. And if you have to play someone through the middle, he's the only one who's capable of doing that. Yeah. Um, but I actually think there's a chance here to get um, Luka Jovic or Luka Jovic from, um, from Real Madrid. So he signed... Maybe not permanently, but maybe that's a nice a nice sign in that fixes a couple of problems. So he is a target man striker. He can play through the middle. This would allow Joe Linton, who's a really good footballer. He's a technical a technical player. Yeah. Uh, he can handle a ball. He, he can hold it up. He can uh, play as a second striker. He's done that successfully in Germany before. He's a bit like Firmino um, in that regard, isn't he? Yeah. And I think the added effect of, of having someone like Luka Jovic, whose career has stalled, but he's still very young, 22 years old, I think he would be available. I believe Real Madrid have said they're going to extend his contract, but I'm sure there's a potential for a loan move there. Luka Jovic, it, it definitely enhances your um, your front line. I know you've got San Maxim playing on the left, really exciting player, starting to get used to the league, uh, starting to produce a bit more. Obviously, it's a work in progress there yeah. as well. Joe Linton on the right with um, Jovic up front, I think is an exciting prospect. And I would actually stick with Almiron uh, just behind. I think Almiron's a terrific player. Yeah. I think he's been really unlucky, but his intensity is perfect for the league. Yeah. Um, now, if you've got uh, if you've got a settled back line with Max Ahrens there as well, yeah. you've got goals in that team, you've got a way to get the ball forward, you've got ball carriers, you've got dribblers. And I think Luka Jovic, just adding that one player, allows players to play in their correct positions will change the whole dynamic. Um, and then just quickly to finish off, I do think they need some more control in midfield, which is what they're lacking. Um, they're often relying on a bit of genius from the wings or from, from a, a forward to get them out of jail or a set-piece goal. But I think a player they've been linked with, uh, Bubakari Samari mm -hmm. from Lille. Uh, I know they were linked heavily before. Um, money does amazing things, so perhaps with the new <laughs> cash injection, it'll be a, uh, an offer is too good to refuse for the young man. Yep. And I think... With that holding midfielder next to one of the long staffs, now you've got a solid midfield, you've got a solid base, you've got more control in midfield, uh, your possession stats will go up, which will allow the likes of San Maxin, Almiron, Jovic, Joe Linton to have more of an impact up front and perhaps be more efficient as a forward line, which is really the only thing that's missing. Yeah. So they're my three. Uh, Bubakari, Samari in midfield, Max Ahrens at right back, and Luka Jovic somehow uh, on loan from Real Madrid up top. Yeah. So there we go. Square pegs, square holes. And that would certainly excite the uh, fans at St. James's Park. Long overdue, I think. Um, my club that's, well, I think it would be unfair to put them in a similar bracket to Newcastle right now because they have been doing far better than them in the last couple of years. But if you look at those clubs that are maybe looking to breach, breach the gap um, between the top six, uh, mine will be Wolverhampton Wanderers that I'm going to look at. And okay. um, I think they're going to be a really interesting club to watch in this next transfer market. You know, it's no secret yeah. how Wolves have been act behaving in the transfer market in recent years, obviously, with the uh, the relationship they have with George Mendes, the super agent, yeah. who's obviously, you know, he's an agent and advisor to the club. And it has led to, you know, a plethora of phenomenal signings for Wolverhampton Wanderers. I mean, signing the likes of Ruben Neves whilst during the championship is... It's pretty special, um, and it's, it's just helped. Yeah. yeah, it's helped catapult the club into the next, into that next bracket of of club, um, and obviously then looking to push into the top six, maybe the top four, which you could argue they definitely have the potential to do because it is a huge club and they've got the backing certainly. But if you do look at perhaps you know if they're going to continue in that vein of signings, you know if you just look at George Mendes clients, there's some big names there. You know Ruben Diaz, the centre back at Benfica. 
Um, obviously, I'm leaving out some names. You know, I'm not going to exactly put Ronaldo as an option because I don't really see Ronaldo joining Wolverhampton Wanderers anytime yeah, soon. But, you know, um, you, you never yet. know. But, um, you know, Ruben Diaz, the, centre, the young centre-back of Benfica, who's been linked with big clubs, Manchester United and Tottenham. Diego Costa would be an interesting one, especially if, let's say, Liverpool decide to, you know, if Liverpool listen to this podcast and think, yeah, you know, Richard Wright, let's go get him. And it's we, Diego Costa could be a perfect replacement for him. Uh even if you look at someone like James Rodriguez, could he be an option on loan? So, you know, George Mendes certainly has big clients there that might be looking for moves this summer and Wolves wouldn't be the worst club. They're a club that's on the up and, you know, you've seen that these players coming over and you could argue that Ruben Neves joining a club like Wolverhampton Wanderers has actually really helped catapult him in terms of world football and his status because I'm not saying the pressure wasn't on him, but it certainly wasn't on, the, wouldn't be um he certainly hasn't yeah. had the same pressure to deal with if he joined a Man City or a Man United straight away. Um, and he's certainly grown into the role in the UK in being a phenomenal so footballer. So it works, it works for the player as well as the club? It works for the player as well. So, you know, I think that they could look to do some deals again with George Mendes. I mean, they'll carry on doing deals with him anyway until obviously, or if that relationship ever ends. So I think that that could be really interesting. But obviously the issue with that is, you know, most of George Mendes' clients does appear to be, you know, obviously the Portuguese players. And I alluded it to it with, you know, Tottenham Hotspur. Wolverhampton are still going to have to make sure that they fill out the homegrown quota. And again, they might have to look at, you know, the lower leagues and British-based players for for signing. So, you know, they've they've already signed that Luke Matheson, the right back yep. from Rochdale. He's a he's a really good young talent. So he's obviously going to come in there. I'm not sure how he's going to get, you know, if he's going to get much game time straight away because Wolves are pretty all right in right wing back with uh, Mac Doherty and... Adama Chore, but um, you know those kind of signings. I think they're going to have to look at Eberieze at QPR. I said it earlier for Tottenham Hotspur, but you know, and I think actually he would offer a different kind of dynamic for Wolves because if you look at the way Wolves play, we said it earlier about how the big teams in Liverpool how they have to constantly adapt and change um, to stay at the top, and that's not just the top teams. That's all. That's team all teams in the league. They constantly have to freshen up, and Wolves have a very very specific system. You know, you know exactly what they're going to play and how they're going to play it pretty much every single game. It's, you know, it's the 3-4-3 three, three with Moutinho and Neves in the midfield, if possible, obviously all being, you know, if they're all fit. Eberieze is more of a number 10, who Wolves don't, don't mm. typically play with that, but it will just offer another dynamic, and I think it'll be a really interesting signing. Uh, Wolves are a very vertical team. They like to, you know, play creative football, good football, but, you know, they look to hit the ball forward early, as a lot of teams do nowadays, and, Eberieze being very dynamic and creative and a good dribbler, something that perhaps Wolves lack from deeper midfield or from central areas. They don't really have a dribbler, Wolves, in the central position. Um, obviously, yeah. Potter, you know, and Podence, they're very good dribblers, on the, on, but they're more out wide. I think having yes. a dribbler like Eze that can drive through the middle of the field would really offer another dimension to Wolves. And again, it fills out the home quota, like we've said. And obviously, with Wolves signing a lot of players from abroad and George Mendes' clients, it's vital as well that they're going to still have to have the Premier League experience. And mm. one player that really sticks out here is Jan Vertonghen, who's obviously out of contract in the summer. You could argue, is he, you know, is he too old now to cope with the intensity and the pace of the league? But he's a phenomenal fo uh, footballer. Um, he's been fantastic for Tottenham and he is out of contract and he would really suit playing on the left-hand side of Wolves' back three. And he obviously has obviously a, a, you know, that Premier League experience. So those are a few players that I think the Wolves could look at. You know, the George Mendes clients, the 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 British players, the homegrown quota, and the and yeah. the Premier League experience, obviously for the free agent. I like the uh, I like the Eze suggestion. That's very good because I do think Wolves have a problem with um, 
I mean, he's he's an unbelievable player, and on his day, he's unplayable. But Adama Traore, uh, they sometimes they can be heavily reliant on his ability to go past a player yeah. or or to do his thing, which he's fantastic at. But you often see as a team evolves, um, they they get found out, not found out so much, but it it gets harder to break down teams. And I think as well, the next problem they're going to have is um, this season, they've, in most people's eyes, they've sort of overachieved. Not a lot of people expected Wolves to do as well as they have, but they've done fantastic. And now teams will go into the following seasons with much more of a healthy respect for them. Um, and so you'll pose a different problem. Teams will teams will sit deep. Teams will uh, try to soak up your attacks. Um, the same, They're going to suffer from the same problem that a lot of the big teams suffer from is teams will say, okay, I expect, expect perhaps to lose that game. So how can we counter that? They're not going to go toe-to-toe no. with Wolves because they've got that more healthy respect. So in order to gain that advantage, a dribbler through the middle might, might really work. Yeah, no, completely. I think so. Um, so if we now look towards the lower end of the table, who's your club that's sort of floating in around or that's been floating around the relegation places this year that you would look at to uh, require an innovative well, transfer me, window? Yeah, for me, this is this is quite an interesting one, close to my heart as well, because this is where I went to university. This is Southampton. Nice. So yeah, I think they're an interesting one because they're sort of I don't know what they are. I mean that they've had an incredible season. And I think they've got an unbelievable manager, but this is a season they lost. Uh, was it nine nil versus Leicester at home? Yeah. Um, you know they had ten men, and I didn't think uh, the manager would survive. <laughs> that that <laughs> pasting that level of beating. I'm glad he did. Especially, I'm glad he did. Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm super glad that he did. I think. I think in general, I think managers should be given more time, and I think we did. But that's a different story. You know, yeah. jerk reactions and whatnot. I agree with you. But I think Hosenhut was a fantastic manager. Well, he's showing that now, but it is difficult to survive a season where you've lost nine 0 at home. Yeah, no, um, it is. Most managers don't. Yeah. But he's done that, and they've gone from strength to strength, and they've actually improved like remarkably. Yeah. So. Again, like Newcastle, they've got a lot of things right. I think I'm just going to rejig what they've got because obviously the premise is that we can't go out and play fantasy football and just sign five mm. players. There's been a lot of talk uh, about Lalana going back uh, from Liverpool. Um, I'm squashing that straight away. I just uh, not that I don't like Lalana. I think he's a terrific player. I just don't see the point. I don't see how that improves um, uh, Southampton. I think the time has passed for Lalana to go there and um, improve the first team. I think there's better there's there's better players on the market, and this you know he's very injury prone as well. So although that would be a fit, it's not for me. Um, so I'm going with in order to to provide that creativity uh, through midfield. It's another player from Norwich, so we're pinching them <laughs> quite yeah. heavily on this podcast, and that's uh, Todd Cantwell. Yeah. So I think he's I think he ticks all of the boxes. I mean, he is a if, Lallana light, isn't he? He is very very similar stylistically to Lallana, maybe more. Yes. More dynamism and aggressive though and intensity, yeah, which is why maybe he would more rangy. Suit, yeah, it would suit Hasenhutl's system with that, wouldn't he? Because obviously Hasenhutl was a very typically German, very intense, presses aggressively. Yeah. I think he's got the legs to to do that. He's, yeah. He can do the pressing game. He can also uh, carry the ball. He can drive with the ball. Uh, he pitches in with a, a fair amount of goals. He's only going to get better. Uh, yeah. He's in a team. He's in a struggling team, but he's still impressed. Um, with his, his style of play, I think he, he really adds something to them uh, and I think he'll provide end product as well. 
yep. which is something Southampton, they've got really exciting players there. Uh, Gineppo, I think, is a really terrific player who's yeah. going to flourish. I really see him, uh, I hopefully see him going on to the next level and getting some consistency. I think he's an exciting one. I think if you add Todd, Tad, sorry, Todd Cantwell into the mix as well, then um, that's only going to enhance their, their forward line. Um, and sticking with the forward line, there's a there's a player I've, I've really admired for a couple of seasons, and that's uh, Dodi Lukabakio. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this is a um, a young Belgian player, only 22. Uh, he's actually on the books at Watford. I still he's on. I, st- I think he's still on the books there. But two seasons ago, he was at uh, Dusseldorf. That's when he first caught my eye, and he scored a hat trick. Um, I think it was against Bayern Munich in um, in the Bundesliga. There, really rangy striker, very versatile could play across uh, any any position in if you had a front three, wide left, wide right, or through the middle. Perfect for counter-attack, which I think is what um, Southampton are going to go more towards. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, now Hassan Huttel's kept his job and uh, he's going to have time to develop. So I think he fits the bill there. Young, exciting. He's got end product. He's proved he can score goals at the top level in the Bundesliga. He's playing this season for uh, Hertha Berlin and he's doing a great job there as well. So he would be coming from a similar stature of club, a similar size of club. So the expectation's not going to be too much for him. Um, and I think it's a bit of a left field choice to to enhance what they've got. I mean, Danny Ings has done a terrific job uh, and I would certainly be sticking with him. But I think um, if you add Todd Cantwell just behind and Luca Bacchio uh, to the forward line, all of a sudden you've got an exciting prospect. Um, well, so generally in recent, I think that's really, I think those are fantastic options. I mean, generally speaking, in recent years, Southampton's recruitment system has been fantastic, hasn't it? You know, the it's been very structured, very thought out, well planned, square peg, square holes, looking towards certain leagues and certain players that fit the profile of what they're looking for. And I think they've continued in that vein. And I think that they, if they signed those players that you spoke about, they would continue, they would continue in that vein again um, once more. And you know, there's a reason why, you know. A selling club isn't a negative. It's because they've done a fantastic job, and the reason why Southampton have, you know, you look at a lot of things. You look, I've seen a lot of teams nowadays. Oh, well, what if um, Southampton or this club never ever sold their players? And if you look at Southampton, yeah. it's just yeah. a plethora of incredible talent. And exactly, but there's a reason for that. They they recruit very very smartly, and I think that that. Would... Well, I think I think Cantwell. Southampton fans might not want to hear it, but Cantwell and Luca Bacchio would be exactly that. They they'd stop there for a, a couple of seasons, and then they'd soon be off. I I see both of those players yeah. playing at the very very highest level. That's not to say that they can't. Um, do big things while they're at Southampton. Yeah. Those profile of players, I think, fix two two problems. One, a bit of added creativity in the centre of the park, a bit more legs around midfield, and two, um, a bit of an injection of end product and um, a player who can play counter attack uh, up front in Luca Bacchio. So I think they're really useful signings. Of course, my team that's been struggling this season in the Premier League is Aston Villa that I'm going to um, discuss. And okay. this is on the proviso that Jack Grealish will be sold because, <laughs> Corona, yes, coronavirus. He's your favourite player. You can't sell him. Well, I absolutely love him, and it's certainly not my choice. But <laughs> coronavirus or not, I cannot think of any universe, real or alternate, where, where Jack Grealish stays at Aston Villa beyond the summer. Because uh, it's, it, I, I think it's wrong when people say that a player's outgrown a club. The club will always be bigger than the yeah, player, of and. Aston Villa are a huge club. They're a huge club, but for Jack Grealish's career, he does have to leave. He does have to leave, and he would not going to be popular in Birmingham, mate. No, but you know, he. he I mean, <laughs> we all know it. They, everyone knows it. He does have to. 
and he would be a fantastic signing for so many major clubs. So this is, again, this everything I think we've done today is about, you know, being realistic and it is realistic to predict that Villa will have to sell Jack Grealish this summer, I think. And, yeah. um, you know, he would collect a big fee, no question, rightly so. He's a fantastic player. He's homegrown. He ticks a lot of boxes. Villa's issue this year has argued been how much how much reliance they've put on Jack Grealish. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not... I don't think there's a single player in the Premier League that's as important to their club as Jack Grealish mm. is to his. Maybe Wilfred Zaha at Crystal Palace. But I would even say that, you know, Jack Grealish is probably even more important to Villa because he just... He runs the whole show for Villa. And you don't really get players like that nowadays that run the whole show. We, we spoke about on a podcast last week how each club and each player has a certain role and that is their role yeah. and only role. Jack Grealish does everything for Aston Villa. He he's very fit, first of all. He can cope with the intensity and stamina. Yeah, he 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 carries the ball forward, he passes forward, he creates, he takes set pieces, he also produces the goal threats, the final pass and the final shot. He can work back and win the ball defensively. He's very, very fit and aggressive, like we said. He's a real all round player for Aston Villa. So what I would like to do if I was Aston Villa is okay, with the money that he's coming in, now let's look to spread the roles throughout the team so you know a player that I'll look to immediately is Ryan Fraser of Bournemouth who's out of contract again um, you know the season in 2018-19 Premier League he played every single game 38 games which is vital for any club to have players that can can remain fit and can stay injury free it's so important especially for for the um, for the clubs towards the lower end of the of the league because obviously you know they, they don't have as big a squad as others other teams so Ryan Fraser, um, and in 2018-19, when he played every single Premier League game, he got 14 assists and seven goals. That's over 20 goal contributions for a team like Bournemouth is from a single player that's not a striker is mightily impressive. And yeah. he would go a lot to replacing the chance creation from Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish can create chances in a lot more ways. Ryan Fraser is more specifically, you know, out wide, cross the ball, takes set pieces. So... You know, he wouldn't replace Jack Grealish's general creativity in the team, but he would certainly, um, you know, provide a lot of creativity from out wide. And you could then look to change your style because if you look at Man Aston Villa, one thing I would do with them this year is sometimes with clubs you can look at and it less is more. So in, you know, for the 1920 Premier League season, in preparation for it, they signed 16 players for this season. Wow. That's just far too much change for a squad. Yeah. And if you look at the, the, the profile of players they signed, only Tom Heaton and Tyrone Mings, you could say you would truly be confident would perform in the Premier League. Yes, they signed other fantastic players. You know, Marvellous Nakamba is, is a really good player. Luis from Aston Villa is a good player. Um, you know, uh, Trezeguet is a good player. Their striker, Wesley, is a good player. But, but I would say again, only Tom Heaton and Tyrone Mings, you look at it and think, yes, I trust you. And it's not just because they're British. You just look at the profile of player. And they were the only ones you could look at from those 16 where it's like, you are definitely going to perform for me in the Premier League. And if you're a newly promoted side, that's not good enough. So I would look at, you know, providing a more rounded team, not reliant on just Jack Grealish. And again, I'll look to maybe look at scoring a more specific kind of goal. So for example, a team that I've, I've, I've made a mock-up team here of the midfield and forward line that they could have. I've got John McGinn, who's a fantastic number eight. Um, he stays there partnered with Nakamba. I think that's a really good duo. It's got everything a, a, a midfield pivot would need for that type of club. You know, Nakamba's ability to screen and win the ball and 
provide athleticism and McGinn's ability to play as an eight and get the ball forward and, you know, um, be a typical eight. And then in the front three, I've got El Ghazi out wide, who I think is a really maverick talent, a really good player. You've got Ryan Fraser on the left, but I've got two signings and I've got, as a number 10, I've got Jesse Lingard, who I think needs a refresh, a refreshing move and I think is actually very underrated and would really suit a team like Aston Villa. And I've got Mitrovic up front. And if we look at that team okay. there of McGinn, Nakamba, El Ghazi, Lingard, Fraser and Mitrovic, I think that is a really, really good collection of six players that yeah. would has a lot of variety to it. You know, it's and you've got players that we know will perform in the Premier League. So Mitrovic, you can hang your hat on him to perform in the Premier League. Ryan Fraser, yeah. you can hang your hat to perform in the Premier League. Jesse Lingard, okay. He hasn't had the greatest time for Man United, but he's still a fantastic player. He's a very smart player, very good mover between the lines. And I think playing him in a team where, you know, he's got the confidence and the role to be a big part of that would flourish. And I think that team has a bit of everything that you look at that Aston Villa would require. And it wouldn't cost that much money. And it now spreads the roles of a Jack Grealish throughout the team. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Mitrovic. I agree with uh, Fraser. I don't see the Lingard one coming to fruition. Okay. Um, but I, I see where you're going, that type of player. But that is be, where you could be creative. You know, Man United reportedly yeah, want sure. Jack Grealish. You know, well, if you want Jack Grealish, now let's, let's be innovative and let's do a bit of a swap. So Jesse Lingard and maybe Axel Twanzebi, because I think Liverpool, I think Villa could do with maybe another centre-back. He's a he's a good young talent that probably won't get the minutes he deserves at uh, Man United. So you could be innovative that way. You could. I think, I think like you said, those 16 sign-ins to the squad last season, I think you have to follow that up with a maximum of maybe two or three. Mm. I think if we start making another four four changes, that's, you know, that's a lot. That's 20 yep. in two years and you're le- losing a talisman as well in Jack Grealish. I totally yep. agree with the Ryan, with the Fraser signing. Uh, totally agree with Mitrovic. I think he's a proven goal scorer. Um, I think he's he'll definitely lead the line. He's he's had another terrific season uh, in the championship and he's, you know, if he comes back up, you know, he's going to score goals again. Lingard's a tricky one, but I do see the points of their creative uh, creative player. Um, able to share the load that Grealish would have uh, left behind or fill the void. So, that's, yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Cheers. <laughs> if you're listening, that's the Villa hierarchy. I am available. Um, well, actually, no, I'm not available. I still work for you. You've you just know. sold Grealish for them. What are you talking about? <laughs> very true. No, it's, uh, I think this is a really interesting discussion that we've had um, and it's certainly very prevalent with, with the current scenario. So, you know, if you're listening in the comments below, maybe, you know, would you agree with our signings? If you're in charge of the clubs we've picked out, what would you do differently? Or, you know, if you're in charge of any other clubs that we haven't mentioned, what would you do differently? Um, give so, us a suggestion yeah, for, us what, for one of yeah. your, the, the club that you support, how can they be smart and innovative in the um, in the transfer window? You know, not saying, oh, we're going to sign Messi or, you know, I'd, I'd love to have Mbappe or something like this. Uh, yeah. let's, let's try and be smart and innovative yeah. and think of, uh, key players who, who are achievable targets and who can improve your team. Definitely. After the break, we're going to be doing coaches battle and this week's best of. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the coaches view podcast and it is time for coaches battle. Now, before we start Coach's Battle, I have to reveal the winner from last week's battle. I put it out to Twitter, put it out to a vote. Richard, do you want to hear who won? Yes, go for it, mate. And the winner is me. I won it again. <laughs> what? 
Yep. It's, it's a fix. It's ridiculous. No, sorry, mate. Okay. Rules are rules. Put it out to Twitter and the general consensus, of course, was that I was the winner. So that is 2-0 to me in the current standing. So you have a bit of All work right. to do, my All friends. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's calm down. <laughs> what are you going to say? It's a marathon, not a sprint? Yes, something like that, man. I'm in this for the long haul, okay? Let's let's see where we end up, not where we start. All right, okay. all right, fair enough. Won't count my chickens yet. So, without further ado, it is time for this week's Coach's Battle. Coach's Battle. I don't think I'm ever, ever going to get bored of that audio, Rich. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Pretty good. <laughs> right. This week's Coach's Battle is based on the discussion that we've had in the podcast, and it is club versus club, no signings allowed. So... If, due to the global pandemic, the Premier League brought in a new rule saying not any club this season is allowed to sign a single player, who would cope best? Now, I think it's important to basically take out Liverpool and Man City from this conversation because obviously I think they will still probably do pretty all right. But with the other 18 I think they'll teams, be up there, mate. Yeah, I think there. they'll be up yeah, there. I don't yeah. think they're going to struggle, to be honest, too badly. Top four. Top nah, four, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, top four. Man. Uh, top six, maybe, who knows? You know, top four might be a bit of a push, but there you go. Um, no, I think it's safe to say that for the next few years, they'll probably be challenging for the title no matter what. So this week's coaches' battle is going to take out those two clubs and it's going to involve the other 18. And it is, if the clubs had no signings, who would perform best relatively? So obviously, you know, let's say, for example, Richard drew a Man United and I drew an Aston Villa. Well, obviously, Man United would probably perform better, but it's more about relative terms. So who would perform yeah. relatively better? So I've got five teams here, and the teams are Man United, Brighton, Burnley, Leicester, and Chelsea. And for those of you who might be listening for the first time, well, first of all, what are you doing? Where have you been the last two weeks? But if you are listening for the first time, the rules of coaches' battle are it is a completely random draw. Myself and Richard have got the topics to discuss, and we've got 30 seconds to do so. So, Richard, I'm going to draw your your team first. I'm going to draw your team first. And you have Leicester City. So, Richard, okay. you've got 30 seconds to describe yep. why Leicester City will be okay if they were not allowed to sign a single player this season. And I've got 30 seconds to explain why Brighton will be okay. So, I've got Brighton. We did have five teams to pick from. The teams were Man United, Brighton, Burnley, Leicester and Chelsea. And obviously, Richard drew Leicester. I drew Brighton. Now, I went. By first. the way, I think this is a rule we should actually bring in. I think it would be really cool well, to it see would be which interesting. teams. We've discussed this. It'd be before, a real test we? of the coach, real test of the manager. I know Liverpool did it already, and and Chelsea have have it, had it enforced upon them. I think it would be really cool to see which teams would thrive with no new signings. I think it would be fantastic. We have discussed this yeah. previously, haven't we? You know, two signings. Yeah. If, if clubs were allowed a maximum of two signings, put that rule in place, and what Why better not? time to do it? What better time to do it? But more important things first, coaches battle. And like last week, we are going to put the, I will put out um, to Twitter a deciding vote as to who won. So obviously, um, that'll be down to you guys, the listeners. And I went first last week. So Richard, you're going to go first this week. You have 30 seconds. I will time you and I promise I'll do it fairly, explaining why Leicester are going to be okay with no new signings. You ready? Let's do it. Right. You can start in three, two, one. Go. 
Okay, perfect. So the team's already pretty established. They're doing quite well. They sit in that bracket just below the top four. I think they're ready for the next push. Fantastic backline. Uh, Soyuncu, I think, has gone from strength to strength. The manager, Brendan Rodgers, uh, is dynamic. He's young. He's hunger, hungry for success. So he's going to push them on. The team's got a couple of aging players in key positions, Jamie Vardy and whatnot. But I think with the youth, Harvey Barnes is on the up. James Madison, terrific player. I really like the right back Pereira as well. I can only see them going forwards. And Iosi Perez underrated terrific player seconds. he's gonna kick him on not bad mate you got quite a lot in there there you go yeah, i'll give you that not too bad i like bad. leicester i like leicester mate i like leicester i'm a big fan of them but they're a good side i am actually a big fan of this club and <laughs> i've actually struck gold with this one because we do know brighton's head of recruitment don't we paul winston lee so i can i think i've yep. got this in the bag i can go really deeply into this one so <laughs> i'm ready whenever you are mate if you want to get the timer right I'm going to be 20 strict seconds on this, for all mate. I care, mate. 20 seconds I'll give this hands, Dan. Right. No, give me, give me 30. Give me 30. Put yeah. nothing to chance here. <laughs> all right. So uh, you can talk for 30 seconds on why Brighton will thrive with no new signings starting in three, two, one, go. Right. So we've spoken about how clubs need to be innovative and Brighton have had an excellent and structured recruitment model for the last few years. Already mentioned Paul Winston Lee, who's the head of recruitment of Brighton, and he's done a fantastic job. Um, in recent seasons, they've signed the likes of Matt Clark, Aaron Moy, Adam Webster, uh, Neil Mopay, Tarek Lamptey, Trossard, the season before, Juvez Bissouma. You know, there's a real mix there of young players that are, are going to grow and adapt into the Premier League and a mix of um, also experienced players for, at home and abroad. Um, you've got Ben White that's returning. 30. He's fantastic. Yeah, so, oh, I didn't even have time to get into Graham Potter. <laughs> I was too confident. Yeah. I was too confident there in my own knowledge of Brighton that I actually forgot to mention quite a few things. You need a stopwatch, mate. Yeah. Well, interesting nonetheless. I actually don't know who's going to win this one, but I will put it out to Twitter, obviously. So make sure that you guys vote who you thought won this week's coaches battle, myself or Richard. Let's see if Richard can pull one back um, or it's going to be 3-0 to me and, of course, continue in the whitewash. <laughs> <laughs> That's this week's coaches battle. And to wrap up this week's show, as we always will do, it is time for this week's best of. And the best of the week is... And this week's best of is best of one man impact. It is about a player, a single player that has had a huge impact at one club or country over a certain period of time and the influence they've had at that club or country. So Richard, do you want to start off? Yes, please, mate. I've been looking forward to this one. So the player that I've gone with uh, has had a huge impact on a country. So playing for his country, not just for a club, and that's uh, Gareth Bale and the, the massive impact that he had on, on Wales in the Euro 2016 campaign. Um, completely uh, transformed the team, a true talisman in every sense of the word, dragged us, uh, dragged us through qualifying. I think he scored seven goals in a qualifying campaign, including a, a winner against Belgium. In the lead up to the finals, uh, took the country to the the first first tournament since 1958 uh, for such a small nation as well. You know he's gone on to do amazing things with with Tottenham and Real Madrid, but I think it was that Euro 2016 campaign where he just uh, he dominated. He scored three goals in the group, uh, really important goal against Slovakia, Russia. Scored scored a goal against England. They unfortunately lost that game, and he was just his influence on the entire team just took us to another level. Yeah. Could always be relied upon, score goals. A bit like uh, when Ronaldo had that season at uh, United, um, his 40-goal season. That that type of impact. Just We had a good team anyway. There's, there's some great players in that side, like Ramsey and uh, Joe Allen, terrific players there. Um, 
but Gareth Bale just propelled them to another level and they really overachieved in getting to the semi-finals of the tournament and they were a little bit unlucky not to um, not to go further. So for me, one-man impact, uh, Gareth Bale for Wales in the, in the Euro 2016 uh, campaign, that, that won't be topped. Unbelievable. Yeah, an incredible footballer, produced incredible moments and you could arguably say that he's produced the best international tournament for his country out of any British country in the last well certainly in my lifetime in that Euro yeah. Euro Championships I don't think you know there's never been a better international tournament from an England player that I've seen um, I think in my lifetime Gaza, yeah Gaza obviously too young for me you know but in terms of what I've seen I don't think there's been a bit of international tournament from a British player and I think there's even a strong argument that you could say that Gareth Bale is the best British player of all time with what he's achieved and and the influence he's had on his teams. Um, no, a, a fantastic choice there, Richard. Gareth Bale, um, an absolute legend of the game. My best of one-man impact is a player that, like yourself, Richard, is very close to my heart. I grew up, you know, to just adore him, loved him. Um, and I still watch YouTube clips of him now, and it is Ronaldinho and Barcelona. Now, people listening might be thinking, well, how much of an influence can a player have on a club that is already as big as Barcelona? But he certainly did. When Ronaldinho joined Barcelona from PSG in 2003, Barcelona hadn't won the Champions League, or as it was called then, the European Cup since 1991-92. They hadn't won the Liga since 1998-99. And then Ronaldinho joins, and they win the league in 2004-2005. They win the league in 2005-2006. They win the Champions League in 2006. Ronaldinho wins the Ballon d'Or at Barcelona in 2005. He wins the World Player of the Year at Barcelona twice in 2004 and 2005. And yes, of course, Barcelona were already a gargantuan club. But that just, to me, makes it even more impressive, the level of, or the, you know, the influence he had at that club. And for a club like Barcelona to have not won La Liga for five years previously, before he joined, and not won the league since 1992, that's a long, long time for a club like Barcelona. So for him to gone there and had the level of influence and, you know, won two league titles and a Champions League, you know, it's incredible. And Carlos Puyol, a club legend and a former teammate of uh, Ronaldinho at Barcelona, said, for years, we didn't win anything at Barcelona. Then Ronaldinho arrived. He's the most important player in our history. Now, of course, you could argue that, you know, there's a level of biasness there from... Uh, or level of bias from Carlos Puyol being the next teammate. But, you know, to be regarded as the most important player in a club like Barcelona's history from anyone just shows how much of an influence he had. And, you know, another player that he had a huge influence on and I think needs to be spoken about is the influence he had on Lionel Messi, arguably the greatest player of all time. You know, you could argue that Ronaldinho handed over the reins to Messi when he left in 2008. Messi took Ronaldinho's number 10, and it went from Ronaldinho being the main man to Messi. And, you know, there were still teammates. So Ronaldinho helped him through it for his early stages at Barcelona. And I think that what sums it up perfectly is it's one of the most famous goals in history with a really iconic celebration. And obviously it's Messi's first ever goal for Barcelona. And, you know, Ronaldinho, of course, set it up and celebrated with Messi after. And it was just a beautiful goal. Um, Ronaldinho scooped the ball over the defence. Messi loved the goalkeeper. And what's really interesting about that goal is in the same game, an almost an identical goal was actually scored beforehand where Ronaldinho scooped the ball over the defence and Messi lobbed the goalkeeper, but it was ruled out for offside. And that happened in the same game. And a lot of people seem to forget that 
Um, but no, I just think the level of influence that Ronaldinho had on Barcelona, you know, because they were in a bit of a, a, a um, you know, they had gone a while without winning either of the two biggest trophies. He comes in, they, you know, become arguably the greatest club, uh, side in Europe once again. And he's had a huge influence on them and, of course, arguably the greatest player of all time. So my um, best of one-man impact this week is Ronaldinho at Barcelona. Great shout, mate. Great player. Magical player. Yeah. Certainly the maverick that we were talking about in last week's show, <laughs> wasn't he? Yeah, definitely. If 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 the, we could have more Ronaldinho's running around the pitch, then obviously football would be a, yeah. um, a brighter place. A player that I don't think anybody could ever hate. You know, played the game with a smile on his face, the creativity, oh, a place the with a smile on his face. He, yeah, he tries things. He's creative. He's in a brave, very brave player uh, to go up players um, to be the creative spark to go to a big team and dominate like he did. It's not easy. Yeah. Uh, to hold the, you know, to wear the ten of of Brazil as well as a heavy shirt. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not every player can take that on their shoulders and and lead the line uh, for Brazil and Barcelona. It's a difficult job. I'm getting and, all uh, thinking about it, mate. <laughs> Remembering <laughs> the good, good. times. <laughs> no, football is still amazing. And on that note, football still being amazing. It's probably time to end this week's show, Richard. Yep, sounds good, mate. Yeah, no, it's been a really interesting conversation. I think it's certainly, as we said, very prevalent with today's society. And it's going to be fascinating to see how clubs behave in the upcoming transfer window, isn't it? So um, hopefully you yeah. listeners enjoyed it. Please feel free to comment. Please subscribe and share this podcast and, and get it out there if you enjoyed it. Um, we want you to get involved in our podcast, obviously. Um, I guess all that's left to do is say thanks again to Richard. Thanks, mate. Thanks to the listeners. Stay home, stay safe, and we'll be back very, very soon with another Coaches View podcast. Cheers, guys. Okay.